If I was to say to you the phrase, hot mess, um, I wonder what the first thing might be that would come to mind for you. Uh, the first thing that you might imagine. Uh, what would you think of with that phrase, hot mess? And um, it could be a number of different things, because you see the phrase hot mess has, has changed in its meaning uh, over the years. Uh, it's not a, really a new phrase, it might be a surprise to some of you, but the phrase hot mess uh, first came around during the 1800s, uh, and what they were referring to back then, um, as imagined, very be very different probably from uh, those of you who, who are familiar with the phrase might think of uh, today. In the 1800s, a hot mess simply referred to food. Um, especially food that was served to soldiers. And, um, you know, might, for those of you who I'm sure come across the phrase to do with the military of the mess hall, um, and that gets its name from what was served there, which was the hot mess um, that the soldiers look forward to. In the 20th century, a hot mess took on a pretty different meaning. Uh, in the 20th century, its meaning had nothing at all to do with food. And, uh, and suddenly a hot mess referred to a dangerous environment. Uh, and so if uh, firemen or soldiers went into a dangerous situation, they would say that they got themselves into a hot mess. But in the 21st century, for those of you who are familiar maybe with 21st century slang, a hot mess doesn't refer to, to anything like food or a dangerous situation. In fact, the, the definition of a hot mess has very little in common with either of those things. Now a hot mess can be defined as this. It can be defined as an attractive disaster. An attractive disaster. It's a way of describing someone whose life is in obvious disarray. Someone who's disheveled um, and a bit of a walking disaster, but despite all of that, remains undeniably attractive. Has some kind of allure. They're in a mess. A mess is happening around them, but somehow they manage to keep up appearances. And they look a lot better than their circumstances might suggest they should do. And I don't want to cause any offence this morning, but you know, I think when we understand the hot mess in this kind of 21st century definition, in some ways it's a phrase that can describe all of us. In one way or another, we all have a mess in our lives and we just kind of clean up good. We're all hot messes. And some of you might be sat there thinking, well, thanks for that, Pete. Speak for yourself. I think I'm doing pretty well. But others of you might be thinking, you have no idea how big the mess is in my life. You have no idea how big the mess is that I've got myself into. I don't even know where to start. I'm not sure about this whole hot and attractive idea, but the mess, I'm not sure I'm ever going to manage to clean it up. And when we, when we talk about mess in our, in our lives, you know, we can mean all kinds of different things, can't we? When we say that you've got yourself into a mess, it could mean all sorts of things. It might be a financial mess, or it might be a family mess, or a relational mess, or maybe a health mess. It might be a professional or an academic mess. It might be maybe that some of you feel like you're married to a mess. You got yourself into a relationship with a mess and everybody warned you beforehand and you didn't listen and now you don't know what to do about it. Some of you might feel like you're parenting a mess. Some of you might feel like it's your parents who are the mess. You know, the reality is that life is often messy. Sometimes it's messy because we create the mess through the bad decisions that we make. 
And sometimes we just find ourselves in a mess through no fault of our own. And and if you feel like you're in a mess this morning, then I want to share some good news with you. And it's simply that it's not just you. You're not alone or some kind of failure. Because we all face messiness in life. We've all been in a mess. Or we are in a mess. Or we're just one bad decision away from a mess. Maybe even it's one bad decision that someone else will make that will land us in the mess. And so this morning I want you to know if you feel like life is a mess that you're not alone. That we want to stand with you and we want to help you out of that mess. But even more than that, I want to give you some really good news. And this is good news for every single one of us here today. And the good news is this. God reveals himself to us and draws close to us and meets with us in the midst of mess. You know, when you can see your mess for what it is and you realize that you need help, that's when it is that you humble yourself and you cry out to God and you best position yourself to receive what it is that God has for you in that moment. Or even to discover who God is for the very first time. Because the good news is for every single one of us this morning, if you can put the first picture up on the screen, is that God has a plan. And his plan is to address the mess. In a, in a letter that he, um, he wrote to the church in Rome, the Apostle Paul introduces us to this whole idea that it is in the realization of our messes that our eyes are open to begin to discover the presence of God. Um, and this is what he, he writes in Romans 3, verse 19. It says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Now that all sounds a little bit heavy to start with, doesn't it? So let me just try and unpack it a little bit. What Paul is simply saying is, if you are under the law, then that law is over you. So as citizens of the UK, we are under the law of the UK and its law is over us. So Paul is saying, whatever law you are under, that law is over you. And he's talking specifically about the law of God. And, and I think the way that Paul's talking, we can understand the law of God in a few different kind of ways. If you were a Jewish person, it would be the actual law of God as laid out in the Old Testament. If you're a Christian, then it would be the law of Jesus, which is summed up um, as simply loving God and, and loving others. To love God first and foremost and to treat other people the same way that God has treated you. But I think without losing Paul's meaning, we can broaden it even further than that and talk about the law of your conscience. The law that God built into us when he made us. And there are things that each and every one of us intuitively know that we should do. And there are things that we intuitively know that we shouldn't do. And whether you like it or not, we are all under the law of our own conscience. You feel accountable to the law of your conscience. It is over you and you are under it. So the interesting thing that I think we all have in common is this. We all fall short of God's standard. 
whether it be the law of the Old Testament, whether it be the law of, of Jesus, or whether it simply be our own conscience. We all know that we have made a mess. We all know at some point that that bad feeling of not doing something that we know we, we should really do, or of doing something that we know really we, we shouldn't do. That feeling of guilt. It doesn't matter what our religious beliefs are or whatever our moral code might be that we subscribe to. None of us are able to escape the law of our conscience that God has written on our hearts. But there's a number of ways that we try and deal with that feeling, isn't there? A number of ways that we try and deal with that feeling of falling short, this feeling of guilt and this kind of mess that we find in our lives. And it might be that we try and escape from it with distractions or with striving to do better and to to be a success so that we don't feel like we're falling short anymore. Or it might be that we try and drown it out with alcohol or with drugs or with, uh, I don't know, with just a, a complete battery of busyness and entertainment and noise in our lives. But one of the things that I think all of us do when we feel bad because of the, of the mess that we've made, or when we're caught out by a, a parent, or we're caught out by a boss at work, or we're caught out by a husband, or a wife, or a friend. We either say or we think internally, give me a break. Nobody's perfect. What do you expect me to be? The perfect child? The perfect employee? The perfect husband? I normally get things right, This is just a mistake. Come on, give me a break. Nobody's perfect. And even if you don't verbalize it, how many of you have had that thought when you've made a mistake? Have tried to make yourself feel better by telling yourself, well, nobody's perfect. Or maybe someone else has come along and they've wanted to make you feel better and they've come along and they said, it's okay, don't beat yourself up about it. Nobody's perfect. And the thing is that this, we use this kind of a statement and, and we use it as kind of like an excuse to let us off the hook because we're just like everybody else. But actually it's this realization that no one's perfect that is exactly what Paul is talking about in this verse. Paul is saying that every single person on this planet, every person who has ever lived, if they're honest, knows that there is this law, knows that there is this standard that they don't live up to. There is this sense of accountability to something that is over them. And they know that they fall short. They know that nobody is perfect. And what's the purpose then of the law? What's the purpose of this realization that we don't match up? What's the purpose of this realization that that we fall short of even our own standards and our own conscience, let alone God's? Is it so that we we feel bad and we beat ourselves up and uh, we're left feeling like rotten people? And we just have to try and escape from that feeling. Or is it so that we all know that we need to try harder and work harder and strive and be better people? I don't think it is. Paul says the purpose of the law, the purpose of our conscience and this awareness that we fall short, this awareness of the mess in our lives, this awareness that nobody is perfect, is so that every mouth would be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. 
Paul is saying there is this law that we are all aware of in some specific or maybe general way. And we all know we all fall short of it. And the point of that sense of guilt, the point of that struggle, is not so that you would feel bad and beat yourself up. Also that you would try harder to finally be perfect and be a success. The point of the law and being aware of the mess in your life is so that you would be silenced. So that I would be silenced. So that when I look at you and I, and I see your mess, and I'm tempted to be judgmental and critical, I would be silenced. And when you look at me and you see the mess that I make and you're tempted to be judgmental and critical, you would be silenced. For you would be aware that you either are a mess, you've been in a mess, or you're simply one bad decision away from a mess too. So that every mouth would be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. So that nobody has room to talk because we realize that there is this standard that we fall short of. That we are accountable to God through the law that we are under. Whether that be God's law laid out in the Bible or even just our own conscience. That we would realize that we have no defense. That we fall short. That on our own we are not good enough. It's not something any of us particularly like to hear, is it? And it's probably not something um, you particularly like when you, you come to church and when you read the Bible and when you hear God's word. But, you know, we can't help but be reminded when we do that of how we don't match up. I know personally that I can't help but be reminded as I read the Bible of how I, I don't match up to, to God's standard to love. Be reminded of how weak my my love is. How I don't love consistently in the way that Jesus calls me to. I can't help but be reminded of my own selfishness. I can't help but be reminded of how easily my temper can be brought on. You know, when I read the Bible and when I hear God's word, it is an uncomfortable reminder to me that I don't match It's like a mirror that I hold up in front of my face and I see the mess that is looking back. And this is exactly what Paul is saying it's meant to do. He's saying we've all felt that pressure of our our own conscience, with pressure of how we ought to live and of trying to match up to it, that guilt that follows when we fall short. But here's the good news. Paul is wanting you to understand that this pressure, this realization, this awareness is not about God turning the thumbscrews on you and trying to force you to be a better person. The pressure, this awareness, this realization is God reaching out to you so that you will realize that you need help. So that you would be silenced. So that you would stop making excuses and trying to defend yourself or just striving to do better. And you would realize that God is reaching out to you. And he wants you to be aware of him. And aware that he is with you in the midst of the mess. I think we can so often end up with this idea of God as someone who is looking down on the mess in our lives. And is just waiting to see the mistakes that we make. And waiting for this opportunity to hurl down lightning bolts on us. 
And we might know that's silly in our heads. We might know that's not true in our heads. But I think if so often, if we're honest, actually, when we make a mess and we find ourselves in a mess, that's how we feel. And the good news of Jesus is that God looks down on you and he looks down on me. He looks down on the messy people of this world. And he says, I don't think I'll flood it this time. I think I'll send my son instead to deal with and to address the mess. God sees the mess in our lives, and the good news is that he decides to get involved. He decides to draw near. You know, probably the most famous verse in the Bible is, uh, is John 3.16, isn't it? Where we learn that God so loved the messy people of this world. With all of their faults, and all of their mistakes, and all of their failures. That he sent his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You know, the good news of Jesus is that God addresses the mess. God draws near to the mess in order to do something about it. And he doesn't come into the world, he doesn't draw near to the mess to to get into our faces and say, do you realize what a mess you've made of your relationships? Do you realize what a mess you've made of your life? No. God comes near to us when Jesus came into this world, into the lives of messy people, to rescue them from their mess and to rescue each and every hot mess that is in this room today. The great thing is there's some great stories when we read about Jesus where you can see something of his love for messy people and the way that he comes alongside them again and again. And one day Jesus was in the temple and the Pharisees, they, they dragged this woman in before him. This woman who had been caught in adultery. This woman who had made a mess of her marriage and her relationships. This woman who'd been caught publicly and so she'd made a mess of her reputation because everybody knew about what she'd done. She was caught in a huge mess. And so what does Jesus do? He says to this guilty woman who's been caught red-handed, look at me. Look at me. I do not condemn you. I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm not going to sentence you to what you deserve. Look at me. Leave your life of sin. Another day, Jesus is walking along and he's with a crowd and he's walking along and there's, um, he, as he looks up, there's this tax collector in a tree. I bet it's the first time ever in his life he's seen a tax collector in a tree. And um, this guy, Zacchaeus, he's, um, he's completely messed up his life. He'd taken this job as a tax collector, but then he'd, he'd gone on to start to overcharge people on their taxes. And he'd made himself rich by stepping on and treading down all of the hard-working people in the community. And now he was despised, he was hated, he had no friends, he was in a mess and he had no way out of it. But he wanted to see Jesus. And so he climbed up a tree. And Jesus stops as he's walking along and he looks up and he sees Zacchaeus up there. He sees this messy man and he says to him, come down from your tree because I'm coming to your house for dinner. I want you to leave your life of sin and follow me. 
you know, time and time again, as you look through the stories of Jesus, you see how he did this. And the amazing thing is that Jesus doesn't just draw near to messy people. He invites messy people to be in relationship with him. He invites messy people to follow him. He invites messy people to spend time with him. He wants to spend time with messy people even while they're still messy. You know, the good news is that Jesus did not pull back from the messy people of the world. He invited them to follow him and to be in relationship with him. And in just the same way, Jesus is inviting you to follow him today, to draw close to him today, to be in relationship with him today. And you need to know that the mistakes that you've made or the mess that you might find yourself in does not exclude you. And that as you make the decision to draw close to Jesus today, to follow Jesus today, to be obedient to Jesus today, that he will lead you out of your mess. The reality is, as I'm I'm sure you probably already know because you've probably tried, that you can't shake that feeling of falling short on your own. As hard as you might try to make yourself a success, as hard as you might try to do things the right way, you'll still find yourself making mistakes. You're still aware that you don't match up to the law that you are under of your own conscience, let alone God's. The mess is too big for you to address on your own. You can't address the mess of the mistakes that you've made, which the Bible calls sin. Which is why God chose to step in and address the mess for you. If we go back to um, the verse that I spoke about a little bit earlier, where we find in John 3.16, what we discover is that what God chose to do to address that mess. It tells us that God so loved the messy people of the world that he sent his only son. He sent Jesus so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So that whoever believes in him shall not face the consequences of their mess. Because God will have dealt with it for them. And instead, they can enjoy eternal relationship with him. Jesus went through all of the consequences of the mistakes that we make, of the sin in our lives, when he chose to die on the cross so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be washed clean, so that we could have a fresh start, so that our mess could be addressed. And I shared a couple of stories earlier um, about how Jesus drew close to messy people and he invited them to follow him. But that was a couple of thousand years ago or so. So why don't we watch a quick video together of a lady called Emma who was just going to share her story of how Jesus is still doing the same thing today. I grew up with my mum, who was a single parent. My childhood was really tough. We were really poor. We had nothing. My mum met my sister's dad and he had an alcohol problem and he was an, is an alcoholic and a drug user and inevitably had a life of crime. So growing up in a difficult environment, I became quite angry. I started partying with my cousin. One night we got our drinks spiked. So I'm in the front of a car. I was tripping and um, my cousin was in the back with another man. I didn't recognise who they were and I asked them who they were and I got told to shut up. And I suddenly felt immense fear. And just something came to me, call on the name of the Lord and be saved. 
and I just did it. I just said, Jesus, Jesus, I believe in you. Save me, help me. I don't know how long it had been, but we had this massive crash, literally head on, full on crash. And I, it was it was like a dream. It was like a, I was in a bad dream. And I just said to God, if I don't die tonight, if I don't die tonight, I'll go to church on Sunday. And I kept my promise, because he did, I didn't die. And on the Sunday morning, I walked into that church, I was there early, the, the pastor that morning, he said, he said, if anybody this morning, you know, you want to make a commitment, you want to give your life to Jesus, or, you know, I want to invite you to do that. I just got up out of my seat and walked to the front of the church. And that morning, I just said to Jesus, here's my life, it's a mess. And, I, and I've seen things that most adults wouldn't see. And I'm only, what, 13 or 14 years old. But here's my life, Jesus, have it. And you've made me for a purpose. And just here I am. And that was the beginning of my journey with Jesus Christ in my life. Jesus reached out to Emma in the midst of a messy situation. And that was the start of her relationship, the start of her journey with him for the rest of her life. Here's the thing. When we're in a mess and we realize that it's too big a mess for us to possibly clean up on our own, what we really want is something like what's in this picture. We want something like the AA, the RAC, or green flag. We want a breakdown service. We want to be able to make a call knowing that there is somebody on the other end of the line who's going to come along and fix the problems and clean up the mess. And once it's all sorted, we'll shake their hands and we'll say, thank you very much. Really appreciate your time. We'll call you the next time we need you. And when we learn that Jesus wants to help us out of our messes, we have a tendency to treat him the same way. But you know that's not how it works with Jesus. Do you know, your heavenly father loves you too much to do it that way. Because his goal for you is not just that your mess and, your, and everything would be cleaned up. It's much bigger and it's much better than that. He is your heavenly father and like any good father, he wants to be in relationship with his children. He wants to be in relationship with you. And most of you all know that I'm a dad. I've got three little ones. And um, uh, my children, I am well aware, are not perfect. Um, in fact, there are times when they drive me completely crazy. But you know, I would much rather have children that drive me crazy sometimes and children that are imperfect and children that make mistakes but that I know love me than I would ever want to have children who have perfect behavior but want nothing to do with me. And I think that reflects something of the heart of God. He doesn't just want to address the mess or fix our behavior because that's not the most important thing to him. It's just a means to an end. The most important thing to your Heavenly Father is a personal, intimate relationship with you through Jesus who made that relationship possible. And Jesus' promise to us is not simply that he will address the mess, but that he will lead us out of the mess 
And that requires us to follow him, to be in relationship with him. You know, as Emma put it in that video, to journey with him. And it takes time, and it's a process. And you might feel like you've been stuck in the same mess for a long time. It may be that it's been a cycle of making the same mistakes again and again, over and over, and you've tried to to change things, you've tried to do something about it, and you've just reached a point where you've given up and accepted it's just the way things are. It might be that you feel that you, you, in some way you were trapped in a mess. And if that's the case, then I want to encourage you this morning that while God loves you as you are, while he draws close to you as you are, while he wants to be in relationship with you as you are, and he invites you to follow him even while you're still messy, he loves you too much to leave you that way. And it may take time and it may be a process, but God is in the business of bringing about real, lasting change in the lives of people who follow him. Not only to set you free from bad habits and the struggles that you might feel trapped in, but also to see you grow to be mature and grow to be secure. To work in your heart and to renew your mind so that you are set free from insecurity and fear. Set free from past hurts. Set free to be the person that God made you to be. And this whole process starts with something very simple. It starts, as we read from Paul, by being silenced before God. Silenced before God. As we realize the mess that we are in. The mistakes that we have made. The need that we have and the fact that we are without excuse and without defense. You know, this morning, as you hear something of God's truth, I am confident that it is at work in your life, fulfilling its purpose of highlighting to you, as uncomfortable as you might find it, just how much you fall short. That's exactly what it was designed for. It's what it's meant to do. Just as it reveals how much I fall short. But the reason that God wants you to realize that is not so that you feel guilty and beat yourself up. It's not so that you try harder and strive and work harder. It's so that you recognize your need for him today. So that you turn to him and discover that he is reaching out to you in the midst of your mess. He does not condemn you. But he invites you to follow him. He invites you into a relationship with you. And his promise is that as you follow him, he will lead you out of your mess. That he loves you too much to leave you there. His heart for you is that you would be mature and that you would be secure. That you would be free to be the person that he made you to be.